0: Now, for many of us, it's not the big screen TV. It's something else in life, and maybe it's way bigger and way more significant and way more this. And Paul was writing to real people at a real place at a real time. I feel like I say this every week, that you can verify using historical methods. And their life was tough, and their life was dark, and they didn't know what to do. And Paul gets to what we know is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, and you should be very alarmed that the pastor only has three verses. And he asked them to ask a question that is very important. It's a question that if you had asked it every single time in your life, you would have saved yourself a lot of tears, a lot of money, a lot of heartache, a lot of stress. But We just don't like to ask this question, and we just don't like to question everything. This question would have solved your greatest regret in life. And Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus, a church that had some really bad ideas about how God worked and how God's supposed to do things, and they were trying to figure it out. Now, if by chance, and where were you, but if by chance you weren't here the last two weeks, quick review. In my era of seminary where we taught us how to do counseling, there are three steps. You pretty much should have figured them out if you've been here for three weeks. Go ahead. First, you have to own it. Whatever it was, whatever happened, you need to own your portion of the bad things that happened. Paul told the church at Ephesus that in Ephesians chapter five, verses five, verses chapter five, verse eight through fourteen. And there's a question up there that said, Did you draw that circle like I asked you to? You might should, and it's hard, and, and you figure out where your percentage is on the things. Two, which we're going to talk about today, which is way more pleasant, you got to rethink it. Everything in life, you need to ask a question and question every single thing, and this is Paul's point. And three, the one we don't like, that Paul finished chapter 4 with, forgiveness. Now, in my era of teaching and counseling, we were taught to do those in that order, if you've been here for all the sermons, you know Paul does not do it in that order. We can discuss that with him at another time, but that's okay. And you notice the little notes that say, did you write down those things they took from you? The reason we have such a hard time forgiving is because they took so much from us. And until we write it down or type it down or have it plastered everywhere, we can't get a feel for why it hurts so Not to get too deep, we spent an entire sermon on that. That's where we are. Here's what Paul wrote. What we know is chapter 5, verse 15. Be very careful how you live. Okay, Paul, that's really insightful. Thank you. Um, Quickly, most translations take the word you have in your NIV as live. They translate it as walk, which is a much, much, much better literal translation. And... The idea is just be careful how you walk. Now, I suspect if Paul had lived in our time period, if Paul had lived today, and he could get over the fact that there were animals that live in our house, on our couches and our beds and our porches and all this, if they could get over the fact that there are animals everywhere in our house, this is how Paul might have said this. I need you to be careful how you walk. Just like you have a really small backyard and a really big dog. (laughs) A wise person is very careful when they go out early in the morning to make sure they don't step in anything. An unwise person smells like they stepped in something. That is what Paul is trying to convey. If you are not wise and you are not careful, you're going to smell like it. And then he says, now that I've painted that image in your head, he writes the words, not as unwise, but as wise. Okay. So unwise people don't step in it, and unwise people do. Yeah, I've totally ruined your sermon. Just go with me. Then Paul continues in what we know is verse 13. It says, make the most of every opportunity. And this can be translated as redeem the time, redeem the effort, redeem those things. Then he says the word, writes the words, because the days are evil. Now, in the first century Greco-Roman culture, especially in Ephesus, they were not overly moral, and they were sometimes proud about it. <laughs> so the days were evil. You may be thinking, well, I, have you looked at my days? That's okay, we can discuss that with Paul another time. But if you can relate to the concept of make the most of your time, redeem the time because the times are evil... Think of that. Once again, Paul lived in our world and got over the fact that water is plentiful. It's not a scarcity like it was in their culture. If he could have gotten over that, then he would have visualized, you know, when you go to the water park and you get on your tube and you float around the lazy river. Make the most of your time because if you just get on the lazy river and you just float, the water just takes you wherever it wants to. If the days are evil... You'll be taken wherever the days are going. And maybe that's not where you want to end up. Then Paul hits us with this, and this is the hard part. This is the tricky part. What we know is verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. A couple things that you would red flags for those of you who study your Bible often. Anytime the word fool, foolish, raka, any of those terms you see in the biblical text... Paul is not telling them how good they were. Fool is generally used as the most negative, insulting word that you can use in polite society. So whatever you think of as a bad word to say that you say in polite society, that's what he's saying because he's thinking something else. Okay. So remember that. It's an indictment upon him. It's one of the worst insults you can say. And now for another image that's going to ruin this sermon, and you're going to only remember this part. Therefore, oh, go back. I'm sorry. Therefore, do not be foolish. But there are two, maybe three words we use in in the original New Testament language, Greek, for the word "but." And yes, this is exactly what I'm supposed to say. And every Greek textbook says this. This is the biggest of the buts. This is the one that is the most important. This is the one you have to absolutely pay attention. And yes, I'm obligated to say, Paul wanted to make sure everyone knew that this was a big but here. Make sure you get it, because he wants them to point out that they're being legalistic, they're being foolish, and they're looking for loopholes to everything they want to do. He is implying, don't be foolish and lie to yourself, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, I'm going to try to be as practical as possible and not ramble too much, because I've been attempting to edit this sermon, I feel, all week, and it's still not short enough, so we're going to do the best we can. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as wise but unwise. We need to question everything. Everything. So how do we do that? I mean, you all want to be wise, right? Don't you? I mean, we would not want to admit we want to be unwise. That would be foolish, wouldn't it? So what questions should we be asking? Well, it shouldn't be what you do last time or what's everybody else doing, or what can you get away with, or what's legal, or what's permissible, or what's ethical? Here's the question that will change everything in your life, and you will respond the same way the people Paul wrote this to responded with. Go ahead. Here's the really complicated question. What is the wise thing for me to do? And when Paul said to them to look for the wise thing in the Lord's will, everybody listening went, duh, duh. Of course we're going to do that. Why would we not do that? Come on, Paul, you got to give me something more than that. But if we're careful, we admit that being wise isn't always fun. Paul would say you need to start asking what's the wise thing for you to do. We're not asking what the wise thing for your friend to do is. We're not asking what the wise thing for your family member to do is. We're not asking what's the wise part for that person who seems everything seems to be wonderful and they seem blessed all the time, we're not asking about that person. We're asking, about what is the wise thing for you to do? That's the question Paul is asking in first century terms. We need to start asking this question every single day so it'll be easier for us to own the decisions that we've made and have way less things to have to forgive others for. Now, so you don't get too alarmed. This won't seem too heavy like the last two sermons. All I need you to do today, so you'll know where this goes, I need you to start asking this question every day, over and over. I'm not asking you to answer it yet. You figure that on your own time. That takes time because I don't really like this question either because I don't get to do what I wanted to do anyway. I just need you to start asking it. Anytime things come up, ask the question because that is what Paul would want you to do. Once again, Do I need you to draw that circle and figure out your percentage? Yes, I do. Do I need you to write down that list of all the things they took from you? Yeah, you need to. I just need you to ask this question. Just ask it and ask it and ask it. Because some of you know this is true. The easiest person for you to lie to is you. The easiest person for me to lie to is me. And the easiest person for you to get in trouble is You and the easiest person for me to get in trouble is me because I fail to ask this question. I fail to ponder what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to do it. Some of you are thinking, or you've said it, and you really should not say this, by the way. Really, I don't know how that happened. Yeah, you do. You go back and you made a bunch of unwise decisions combined with a bunch of unwise non-decisions because you didn't plan anything, so you were stuck doing something. And it ended up taking you somewhere you didn't want to go. For example, let's say it's a Sunday, which I hear that's a work day for some people. It's a Sunday. And you've preached two sermons that were emotionally complicated. And you tried to make them different for different audiences. And they were emotionally draining. And you on the personality scale are a high introvert. So you can only be an extrovert for so long before your brain explodes. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Um, and so you've preached these sermons, and then you get back to the office, and you try to get some work done because you're behind on administrative work because you were doing other things, trying to be a pastor, so you're trying to get all this stuff done, and it gets to be about five o'clock, and you're finishing your work day, which is not an unusual time for me to finish on a Sunday, (coughs) and your lovely and talented spouse comes to pick you up, and she comes and picks you up, and you recognize immediately for once you did the wise thing, this part. You looked at her and went, wow, she does not want to make dinner tonight. So you do this magic thing. Oh, let's see the easiest solution. So you grab your magic phone and you go to your list of fast food places and you hit Burger King and you hit the family bundle, which is really not a good idea, but we did this. You hit the family bundle in case you're unaware. Family bundle is three Whoppers, three cheeseburgers, and three fries, which must be switched to onion rings if you're married to Maggie. Um, And so you get those and you pick them up and you drive home And you sit down and you eat the food because you didn't really eat anything besides a little bit of lunch. And then you remember why this was the dumb thing to do. One, onion rings, onion rings fight back. (laughs) I know, there are a lot of references here that are not probably going to be good in the long run. But onion rings fight back. You remember that your son doesn't really like Whoppers. And it was just recently Halloween. So after you finish your Whopper and your onion rings, there's Halloween candy. (laughs) Then you fall asleep eventually after your sugar coma wears off. You fall asleep and you come to work the next morning and you come into the office and the very talented pastor's assistant says when she comes back, I got donuts. You want some? (laughs) And you have two of them. Was any of the, are any of those decisions bad in and of themselves? No. Were all of them legal? Yes. Were all of them okay? Yeah. Were any of them wise? (laughs) Only one was to make sure your spouse didn't have to make dinner. That was it. Paul wants them to see the same thing. This is how it happens very slowly. This is how it happens. How do we question everything and avoid the pitfalls of life? Ministers who were trained in my era of seminary, we learned to think of this question in three different ways, and it's not complicated because we were all taught the three-point sermon, so this should not be a surprise. Here's how we're going to ask the question. Based on my past experiences or your past experiences, what is the wise thing for you to do? What happened last time you did that with the finances? What happened last time you did that with the interpersonal relationships? Is everything just repeating itself and you can't figure out why? Why? What happened last time he called? What happened last time she asked you to go with that place to her? What happened last time you spent the night? night? What happened when you called him back? What happened when you went with them to Springfield? What happened the last time you went to Hy-Vee at two o'clock and you hadn't had lunch yet? What happened the last time you said no? What happened the last time you said yes? What happened last time you told that white lie to them? Remember, this is in light of your past experiences, not mine, not someone else's, yours. What happened last time? Paul basically says in not very nice language with the use of the word fool, stop lying to yourself. You just did what you wanted to do anyway. What is the wise thing to do? Not what's legal, not what's permissible. What's the wise thing to do? And we don't like this question. We won't like the next two either, by the way. Because this clears up the gray areas of life. Many of us love living in the gray area. Because if we live in the gray area, we get to do whatever we want anyway. Well, I didn't know any better. know I didn't know. No. Based on your past experiences, what is the wise thing for you to do? Okay. Let's take this from another perspective. Based on my current circumstances, what is the wise thing for me to do? Based on where you are in life right now, how do you get to be wise? So based on who you are and what you are right at this moment, what is wise for you to do? You're in a new relationship or a new relationship is added to your family. Someone else has gotten married or this person got married or they didn't get married or whatever happened. What should you do? You're living in a new place. You've got a new job. You've held retirement. What do you do? Is it wise to go do the same thing you did six months ago? Not that what you did six months ago when you went out and did stuff was bad. Is it wise today? What's the wise thing for you to do right now? You move to a new area and you're trying to figure out the family budget. And you still need to buy a new car or two. You move to a new area, and you think you're going to have to pay for college for at least one person. What's the wise thing to do? Not what you're going to do three months from now. Not what you're going to do three years from now. Not what you did five years ago. What's wise for you right now? But I don't like that question. That means I don't get to do what I wanted to do anyway. Well, I got some bad news for you. What you wanted to do anyway got you in the mess you're in now. So, in light of your current vulnerability, your current situation, what is the wise thing for you to do? Now, before your heads explode, because mine, I think you just heard me process some of that right there. My head is exploding. I'm not asking you to come up with an answer, but we got to start asking the question What, in light of your current circumstances, is the wise thing for you to do? Not what's legal. Not what was right, not what will be right, but what is right. This is about you. It's a brand new semester, and you made some bad choices regarding school and grades. You really need to excel this semester to get back on track. What's the wise thing for you to do? You started a new job. You have a new child or a new grandchild. What do you do? This is way bigger for you than anything else. What is the wise thing for you to do? Now, as I list these things and mention these things, if it doesn't get uncomfortably clear what the wise thing is, and notice it's uncomfortably clear, we're not really happy with some of these answers. That's why we have to ask the question. You should see the third part of this question. You should see this coming. If you don't, you're not paying attention. So... Based on my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for you to do? Because we all throw away so many hopes and dreams based on decisions we make today. Are we trading in something you want in the future for something you think you want now? Do you want the thing you're obsessed with right now to control your life in a year, in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years? Based on your future hopes and dreams, not mine, not your friends, not your mom's, not your kids, your future hopes and dreams, what do you do? Please don't let other people who may not have hopes and dreams past next week make decisions for you that affect you. If we think in terms of your future hopes and dreams, even if some of those future hopes and dreams are misguided, you're going to make decisions that are going to get you to those goals. Goals are important. Planning is important. Visioning is important. But unless you think in terms of your future hopes and dreams, you're never going to get there. I'm sure at some point I will preach a sermon series on just this next catchphrase that's going to appear on the screen but i don't have time today but i need you to get this go ahead your current direction not your current intentions determine your future you can have the best intentions in the world the best idea know exactly what you're supposed to do but the direction you are currently moving is the direction you are going to go that determines your future so based on your future hopes and dreams whether that's six months from now It's like, I can't think more than three months from now. That's okay. Start asking the question. Because if you stay on your current path, will you get where you want to get? Once again, I feel every seminarian of my era then has to deal with this question. You should see this coming. Some sermons are not complicated. So, based on your past experiences, your current circumstances, and your future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me or for you to do? No one plans to ruin their lives. No one plans to destroy who they are. No one plans, using a bad image, to step in something they really didn't want to step in. But the problem is we don't plan not to, as I butcher the English language. We owe it to ourselves to ask this question. The answer to this question will teach us a lot about who we are and what we are and what we can be. As a teenager or a college student, if it sound, if the answer to this question sounds like something a solid adult role model keeps saying, or heaven forbid, your parent keeps saying, Then maybe it's the wise thing for you. Now students, teenagers, I got your back here, don't worry. Do not tell your parent or that adult that they were right. They will die of shock and I do not want to go visit them in the intensive care. But if they say these words, and it sounds like, oh, that sounds like the wise thing to do, but I don't want to do it, and you push back on it, maybe that's it. If it works, somebody on your team, you know, that person you're not really a big fan of, says something that sounds wise, maybe you should listen. Maybe that is the wise thing to do. Husbands, does the answer to this question sound like what your spouse keeps saying? Smile and nod. It's okay. I feel I'm not qualified as a man with a spouse to answer this, but that might mean something. Hey, wives, if the wise thing for you sounds like what your husband has been saying for months then you have a unicorn for a husband. So you hit the jackpot. They are rare. We husbands are really, really good at many things, but thinking wisely by choice is not one of them. Wives, if your husband keeps saying things that answer this question, give him a big hug and know you're lucky. Now, in fairness, do not tell him that because I hear you want to keep him guessing. Those of you who listen to the sermon later, I want you to know that I was looking directly at the manuscript, reading directly from it, from that section. Okay, if this whole idea makes you uncomfortable, makes you want to push back, makes you want to, I don't want to do this, that says something about you. And it says something about me. If this sounds like foolishness, and why would you do this, and... It's just some words in the Bible and blah, blah, blah. I don't even care if you think it's the inspired Word of God in this case. Don't you know you should be doing this? Paul thought they should. So maybe, just maybe, there's a problem. And if you call this question stupid, or you call this question foolish, or that crazy guy, that he has no idea what he's talking about, then I think it says something about you. And I think you need to answer the next question. Do you even have your own best interest in mind? If you don't want to ask what's wise or for your current situation based on your past and your future hopes and dreams, do you even have your own best interest in mind? And let's just go with me for a second. If Paul, a real person in a real place that no one disputes historically existed, wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in prison, while he's probably chained to a military officer, which is where he gets the chapter 6 reference from. He's probably just going down the list, looking at the uniform of the person he's chained to. You may not have your best interest in mind, but it appears God does. So even if you don't have your best interest in mind and you wonder where God is, and I get that, don't you owe it to yourself to start asking the question, what's the wise thing for me to do? Do you want to end up in a place that you never intended to be? Of course not but if God loves you, then God doesn't want you to end up there either. And it only makes sense if a man who we can verify historically, most likely named Jesus, who was given a title of Christos, lived and died on a cross, and according to historical sources, was seen by the disciples a few days afterwards, will die for you, then I think God is for you and has your best interest in mind. But I don't like this question. This question's hard. I didn't know this would be on the test. Yeah, I know. I just need you to start asking the question. I don't need an answer. You do. (laughs) just need you to ask the question. Because if you ask this question, you'll spend a whole lot less time looking back at what you should have done and looking back at who you should have forgiven and who, what you should have owned. Because if we do the wise thing for you, then you can live as one is wise. And overusing Paul's imagery, you will step carefully, not as the unwise.